Chapters 13 and 14 of When Shadows Die by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter 13. The Captain of the Argent. Our travelers arose very early the next morning. The very first news that met Mr. Force on his entrance into the gentleman's reading room was that the Argent was in the navy yard. She had arrived at dawn that morning. The squire hastened to the ladies' parlor to communicate the news to Mrs. Force and the girls. There was a general exclamation of joy, and then a sharp cry of anxiety from Rosemary. "'Oh, when shall we find out about Roland?' she pleaded. "'This very morning, dear child. No more tomorrows. Tomorrow has come,' replied Mrs. Force, with a smile. Yet, oh, how wan a smile! Come down to breakfast at once. We will get a cup of coffee or something, and then start for the navy yard and go on board the Argent, said the squire, giving his arm to his wife. They went down to the saloon and breakfasted as well as they could for the excitement, which took away their appetite. After that, Mr. Force went out to hunt up a carriage, for there was none on the stand. When he returned, he said, My children, I could only get one hack, and it will hold but four persons inside. Your Uncle Enderby does not wish to go out. Therefore, Wynnette and Elva, you will remain here under the protection of your uncle, until we come back. Your mother, your sister, and your little friend will go with me. But where is Uncle Gideon? inquired Rosemary. My child, chains would not have held him here. He has gone down in an omnibus to the navy yard. Preparations were soon made, and Mr. Force and the three ladies were on their way to the east end of the city. They drove through the navy yard gate, past the officers' quarters and the workshops, and down to the waterside. There lay the Argent at anchor a few hundred yards from the shore. Mr. Force directed the driver to draw up. Then he alighted from the carriage and handed his wife down. Odalite and Rosemary sprang out unassisted. Odalite's face was bright, eager, expectant. Rosemary's pale, timid, and anxious. Both stood out looking upon the prize. "'How shall we reach the ship?' inquired Mrs. Force. "'I must signal for a boat to come off and fetch us. "'Stay, there is a boat coming,' announced the squire, "'and soon they all saw the boat that had been partly hidden in the shadow of the ship's hulk "'put off from her side. "'It was rowed by six sailors and approached the shore rapidly. "'Who is in it? Oh, if it should be Roland,' aspirated Rosemary, in a low, deep tone. "'Who is it, Abel?' inquired Mrs. Force of her husband, who was looking through a field-glass. "'There is but one man besides the oarsman, and his back is to us. I do not know who he is, but he is neither Leonidas nor Roland. He is much too stout for either of our boys. He is as broad-backed as old Gideon Grandier. "'By the way, where is Captain Grandier? You said he had come down to the yard, but we have not seen him.' "'My dear,' He was a full half-hour in advance of us, and must be on board the Argent, giving the officers and crew the benefit of his views on piracy. Come, the boat is almost here. A few minutes after the boat landed, the sailors drew in their oars, and the single passenger turned around, got upon his feet, and stepped ashore. He was the old skipper. "'Oh, Captain Grandier, what news?' exclaimed Mr. Force, while all his party looked the eager question which they did not put into words." "'No news at all. Nothing but a fresh disappointment and a longer suspense.' "'What do you mean?' inquired Mrs. Force. The old man took off his cap, drew his red bandana from its crown, deliberately wiped his face and head, replaced the handkerchief in his cap, and his cap upon his crown, and answered, 
There's nobody aboard that can tell me anything, or that will tell anything if they can. And did you learn nothing? Nothing but this, that Lieutenant Force has gone to make his report at headquarters, and nobody knows when he will be back. And the pirate and his mate are gone before the commissioner of prisoners, and nobody knows what their fate is to be. And did you hear nothing, nothing at all, of Roland? inquired Rosemary, in a faint voice. Nothing whatever, my girl. I did inquire, but no one knew anything of any young man of that name. I am very sorry, my poor child. Rosemary had grown very pale, and looked as if she were about to faint. The old skipper raised her in his arms and laid her in the carriage, where she sank back upon the cushions. Mrs. Force got in, seated herself beside Rosemary, and drew the suffering girl to her bosom. "'Have courage, my love,' she whispered through her tears. "'Have courage. Roland may have made his escape from the Argent before she was captured by the Eagle. Or he may be, by a mistake, with the other prisoners on board a man-of-war.' Have courage, dear love. Oh, Mrs. Force, I cannot, I cannot any longer. I feel as if I should give up and die, moaned the girl. Mr. Force handed Odalite into the carriage, and then turning to the old skipper said, Captain Grandier, if you will get in with the ladies, I will take a seat with the driver, and we will all go on together. I will take the seat by the driver and thank you, if you will allow me. But I cannot be shut up in the inside of that hack. I would rather walk, replied the old sailor. "'As you please,' said Mr. Force, and he helped the skipper to mount the box, and then entered the carriage and seated himself with his womankind. "'Where to, sir?' inquired the driver. "'To the office of the Commissioner of Prisoners, and on your way call at the hotel where you took us up.' "'Yes, sir.' The carriage drove off, passed through the Navy Yard gate again, and took its way up Garrison Street to Pennsylvania Avenue, and thence to the West End.' Half an hour's rapid drive brought the party to the front of their hotel. "'My dear,' said the squire to his wife, "'I cannot take you and these girls to the commissioner's office. I will take you upstairs, and ask your brother if he would like to accompany me.' "'Very well, Abel,' replied the lady. Mr. Force got out, handed down his wife and the young ladies, and escorted them into the hotel. They found the earl and his two nieces in the parlor. The two girls started up with the question, "'What news?' "'No very definite news,' replied their father. "'But your mamma will tell you all we have learned. "'I am going to the office of the Commissioner of Prisoners "'to see if I can meet Lee. "'If I can, I will wait until he is at leisure and bring him here. "'Enderby, would you like to go with me and see what it is?' "'Very much,' replied the Earl. "'And the two men went out together. "'They entered the carriage, which was driven off immediately. "'It was but a short drive, and in less than ten minutes "'the carriage drew up, and the gentleman alighted.' Captain Grandier climbed down from his seat, and the three entered the building together. The place had once been a commodious dwelling-house, but was now, like many others of the finest mansions in Washington, taken for the service of the government. A sentinel was on guard before the door. Mr. Force spoke a few words to him, and passed on with his party. He entered a front hall, and thence through a door on the right they passed into a large front room, furnished with seats all round its walls, and a long table at its back, with chairs behind it, and folios and stationery on its top. Two or three men in uniform sat behind this table, while all around the room, on the benches against the walls, sat a rough-looking score of men guarded by soldiers. There was another door on the right of the long table, and opening into a rear room. A sentinel, or janitor, stood at that door. While they waited to be admitted to the presence of the commissioner, the door opened— 
and two prisoners came out, guarded by a detachment of soldiers. There he is, there is the head devil, and not an irons either. And there, there in his company, a prisoner too, by all that is atrocious, is my mate, Roland. The two gentlemen looked up, stared at the prisoners, who were slowly crossing the room to the outer door, closely guarded by the soldiers, stared until the elder and stouter of the two lifted the back of his hand to his forehead in a mock salute, and smiled, while the younger fixed a gaze of yearning entreaty upon the face of his old captain, and then turned the same gaze upon his old friend. Yes, the pirate's first officer, taken red-handed with him, was Roland Bayard. But who was the pirate himself? Chapter 14 Who He Was "'You say this man is the captain of the Argent?' inquired Mr. Force of the old skipper, when the prisoners and their guard had passed out of the room. "'Yes, he is Silver. Silver, the pirate captain. No irons on his wrist yet. Prisoner of war, is he? Ah, ah, we shall see. We shall see. But my brave Roland, taken with him. This, then, was the blockade-runner's first officer whom they were talking about, who was taken with him, and is now sent to prison with him.' Oh, Roland, Roland, is it possible that you yielded to temptations to join in a lawless life? But it will cost you your own life, Roland, my lad. No rescued prisoner from the pirate's clutch are you, Roland, but a comrade of pirates yourself. I thought I knew the boy. I thought I knew him for an honest lad. But I was mistaken in him. Oh, how mistaken I was! While the captain was muttering these lamentations to himself, Mr. Force was standing in a maze of perplexity not thinking then so much of Roland as of the pirate captain. The earl touched him on the shoulder and aroused him. "'I know the villain,' he said. "'I have much cause to know him. His name is Stukely, Burn Stukely, once a lieutenant in the Royal Navy, but cashiered years ago for dishonorable conduct.' Mr. Force stared at the speaker, but did not reply. "'Why, Force, you look as if you knew the fellow also. You look as if you could a tale reveal. What is it?' "'I know the man.' but I know him as Angus Anglesia, Esquire, of Anglewood Manor, late colonel in the East India Service. What, Force, that fellow? He is not Anglesia. He never was in the army in all his life. He was in the navy and kicked out for disgracing it. Is he the man you have known to your grief as Anglesia? He is. Then, Force, the mystery that puzzled me is solved. The inconsistency that distressed me is reconciled. I never could understand how you could accuse my friend Angus Anglesia, the Christian gentleman and renowned soldier of the base and cowardly crimes committed by your persecutor. How could I associate theft, forgery, and bigamy with such a character as that of Angus Anglesia, though they are very consistent with the career of Burn Stukely? Who is this man, and how is it that he could take the name and style of an officer and a gentleman, and deceive us all, even my wife, who had known Colonel Anglesia in his youth, demanded the squire. The earl shrugged his shoulders and then replied, The fellow is a near relation of Anglesia and bears a strong personal resemblance to him. In their youth and early manhood they were counterparts of each other, but as they have grown older they have diverged in appearance, so that now no one could mistake the one for the other. The reason is this. Both boys inherited the same form, features, and expression from the same remote ancestor, but they inherited different dispositions, and have had different trainings. Each has grown old in the likeness of his love, and so they have now grown apart. Angus Anglesia is of medium size, as well as of medium height. His features are clean-cut, his complexion clear and pale, 
his expression grave, sweet, thoughtful, benevolent, intellectual. Stukely is, as you see, overgrown, with an obese form, bloated features, red face, and a brutal, sensual, and sometimes ferocious expression. Yes, replied Abel Force, and the last three years of lawless life has made him even more brutal than ever. He was in his earlier life a protege of Anglesia's. It was his influence that got him into the Royal Navy. But he is, and has been for years, a sharp thorn in the side of Angus, taking advantage of his personal resemblance to his cousin, using his knowledge of his relative's affairs and his skill in imitating his handwriting, to swindle everyone everywhere who came under his notice. This was the adventurer who tried to marry your daughter, Force. It is well the marriage was stopped at the altar, though the California woman, poor soul, had no right to interfere. Why? demanded Abel Force. Because Stukely has a wife and five children living near Englewood on the charity of Angus Anglesia. Thank heaven! exclaimed Abel Force earnestly. There is now nothing to prevent the happiness of my dear Odalite and Leonidas. I don't know what you are both talking about, I am sure, complained the old skipper. No, you do not know our family history for the last six years, Captain Grandier, or the trouble we have suffered through that man of whom we have been speaking, but you shall know all at our earliest convenience. But Roland, oh Roland, what will become of my boy? groaned the captain. Can you not prove that he was taken prisoner by the pirate? demanded Mr. Force. Yes, but I cannot prove that he did not join the pirates, as Silver told me that he meant to do. And here he is under a false name, Craven Cloud, first officer to the pirate captain. It looks black. I wish I had never lived to see this day, groaned the captain. After they had waited about half an hour, in the hope of seeing Lee come out of the commissioner's office, Mr. Force went and spoke to the messenger at the door. Do you know whether Lieutenant Force, who brought the prize ship with the prisoners this morning, is now with the commissioner? No, sir, he is not. He came with the prisoners this morning, and made his report, and left them, and then went up to the Navy Department, replied the man. Thank you, that will do. Come, Enderby, come, Grandier. We may as well return to the hotel. We shall not be likely to find Lee. We must wait until he comes to us, I suppose. If he only knew what good news waits him, he would hurry. If he only knew that we were in the city, or where to find us. But he does not, you see, said the Earl. Wait one moment, exclaimed the captain. I must speak to that man before we go. Can you tell me where those two prisoners have been sent? To the old capital prison, replied the messenger. Can I get to see them? Only by a permit. Go on, Force, you and the Earl. I am going to see my dear boy. Oh, heaven, who shall tell poor Rosemary? End of chapter 14